I'm gonna steal the Declaration of Independence. I'd like to take his his face off. Oh, no, not the beat! A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L. I was a little drunk. Plus, I was horny. Welcome back to Cage Old Question, where we ask, is Nicolas Cage the greatest actor alive? I'm Artoon, and this here be my wife-to-be, Christina. Hello, B. On this show, we watch the entire film catalog of Nicolas Cage in chronological order, working our way through 40 years of cinema. As a disclaimer, this is a personal podcast not affiliated with any other third parties, and the opinions expressed herein are strictly our own. For today's episode, we are reviewing the 1987 film, Raising Arizona, released March 13, 1987. It's a Coen Brothers movie, directed by Joel Cohen, with a screenplay written by the both of them, Joel and Ethan. This film stars Nicolas Cage as H.I., a man with a penchant for robbing convenience stores, who, upon getting arrested over and over, meets and gets engaged to police officer Ed, played by Holly Hunter. Now, out of prison, H.I. is determined to live a good life and try to have a family with Ed, but when they can't have kids, a lot happens. <gasps> We got kidnapping. Spoilers ahead. Spoilers, Spoilers ahead. ahead. Because I now I'm, I'm gonna jump in here and say and say this is a great movie. Highly recommend you pause and check it out if you haven't seen it before. Uh, last time I saw it, I was a kid and I found it very scary. I thought it was a very frightening <laughs> film from top to bottom. It is an uh, American crime comedy. Uh, yeah. As Zartun said, by a bunch of outlaws, those going brothers. Bunch of outlaws, convicts. But it's great. It's it's so funny. As an adult watching it, I'm like, this is amazing. But as a child, I was very scared. Well, very it, scared. It's definitely chaotic energy. And I just don't want to... I just think it's fun not to spoil. Spoilers ahead. Now we're spoiling. So this is your last chance to pause before we get into breastplate, the baby Good. napping. Good. The, the I wonder... Because you didn't know that there was going to be a baby napping. And when it, no, and when it, when it started... I was very careful not to spoil it for you, whatever. Thank and you when for you that. found out that they were going to steal the baby, Thank you were you like, you were like, oh no. Well, <laughs> I was like, yes, yeah, it's yeah. oh no. It is oh no. It is definitely oh no. It's it's funny. You're really never rooting for a kidnapper, but like in this case, you kind of are a little bit. I don't know if I would say I'm never rooting for a kidnapper. So okay, but. <laughs> <laughs> What a, Did you yeah. get to rattle off all your facts about the movie? Did you say who wrote it and made it? I say who wrote it. I said, I mean... Oh, yeah, because uh, it was the Coen Brothers. The main, that's, 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 that's that. Uh, and the main character, Nicolas Cage yes, and Nicolas Holly Cage. Hunter. But we also... There's a ton of people yeah. in this. There's I mean, John, John Goodman, Goodman is in this. William Forsythe. They're the two convicts. You have uh, Frances McDormand. Yeah. From early, which I just found out. Yes. Did you know she's married to Joel Cohen? What? Yes. Oh, my God. I don't think... Well, I don't know if they were married by this time, but they've been married since the 80s. Oh my god. Yeah. Nine, 18, 19, <laughs> 1984. They got married on they got Fools, married. April Fool's Day. Wow. April Fool's Day, 1984. So they were married when they That's were making so this film. That's so cute. They were married. Wow. Lots of lots of good performances in this all yeah, around. Yeah, great performances. I would say of the other great performances, like we said, Holly Hunter, oh my gosh. Incredible. She's so good. I think she's around 29 when she makes this movie and she's six years older than Nicolas Cage and I just wanted to give a big shout out for actresses being older than their romantic parts in movies it's a, I mean it's again we always come back to Nicolas Cage's six foot one 
Mega Man mm-hmm. already. At, he's like 22 here or whatever. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it, it, like no, he's he's older than 22. This he's point. like 23 by now. He's maybe even 24. No, I don't think so. He's still quite young. And when they film it, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna. But um, and I just love to always contextualize Holly Hunter with the 1996 movie Crash, um, since it's a deeply cursed film. And she has a very scary performance in it. And so I'm always like, do the people with her know about Crash? And this is pre-Crash, so it so hasn't even happened know. yet. So nobody knows just how powerful Holly Hunter is yet. She's very powerful. And she she's is powerful very powerful. She's very powerful in this. She yeah. comes across, she's just a fantastic performance. And I read that they wrote the role for her. Oh, yeah. With her in mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they wanted her for her, her their first movie, Blood Simple. Which she couldn't do. Oh. Yeah, so then they, they circled back around. She is Because amazing. she was roommates with Frances McDormand and Yale. Oh my god. So at that's Yale, how, at casual Yale, Yale. Casual Yale god. school of drama. Ugh. Sometimes you really start eating for, rooting for these people and they all play these like blue collar roles all the time and then you're like, <laughs> oh, you room together at Yale? Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I... Love this movie. And oh, but we were saying oh, other performances that were amazing is John Goodman. John, John Goodman, Goodman gives another incredible in performance in this. And I saw he had been a longtime collaborator. Not not at the time. This was one of his earliest collaborations yes. with the Coen brothers. Goes on to be a longtime collaborator. And I saw that there was some sort of remark about how he is drawn to characters who are as quick to burst into fits of rage as tears like like mm. and i think that comes through in this movie he Definitely. does a great job in it but he does look like he's he's 35 years old in this but he looks like a little baby boy with he's got very like almost looks like peach fuzz on his face oh like, i think he looks hair. like an old man already i compared to old the old man he becomes i'm like this is a little Fair. a little baby a bouncing baby boy well i'm glad you brought up john goodman as well again because john goodman and i <gasps> have actually worked on the same set together <gasps> for the Connors, which puts me at one, uh, what is it? One, one relation, degree of one separation. One degree of separation away from Nicolas Cage. Incredible. And, and, actually on that same episode of the Connors, that same degree. I was uh, acting alongside Jennifer Grey, who was Nicolas Cage's wife in Cotton Club. Who my mom chastised me for not recognizing as baby from Dirty Dancing. Well, there you go. Because we did not at all. We Not only did we not recognize her from Dirty Dancing, we did not recognize her as Jennifer Grey, and our two did not recognize her as, as his my scene co-star. partner. As from my co-star. co-star from yeah. So I'm now two one degrees away from Nicolas Cage. Two different ways. Two different avenues. Amazing. We're going to get the star. We're going to get there. Happen. We're going to get there. Oh. Maybe by the end of this podcast, don't, don't. I'll do I, a I film knew you with were going to say something like that. It was going to make me nervous. And I was going to be like, don't, don't say anything. Fingers crossed. Like I mean, I auditioned for Unbearable Weight. Like, it could have been. I know, I know. Been. I know. I know. Um, but great performances. And I would say that this movie, clocking in at 94 minutes, is Chef's Kiss all around. Amazing. Very joyful. Um, just a great. Like, good pacing, fun, you're laughing out loud. From just the opener into the very cool title with Nicolas Cage's first filling, may I say, um, is, like, so much fun is happening. The it's, opener is it's just fantastic. It's just so fun. I think what the Coens do very well is create very distinct characters. Yeah. Every single character, including just the guy who's mopping the prison... He comes back three mm-hmm, times, mm-hmm. and it's each time it's a bit different than the mm-hmm. time before, but it's still within the world of that character. Yeah. And, I mean, that's the smallest character in the movie, and we go all the way up to the biggest characters, but even other small characters, the grocery store, like, 
uh, gun uh, toting like revenge oh, guy. Oh, you, you the convenience store like bleach blonde, bleach blonde hair black, guy. He's yeah. like a he's a distinct character. Distinct. It's it's no character, no matter how small, is just a throwaway. It's just someone to be there. Every single character has something going on for them, and that's I think a Coen Brothers staple. Uh, and I think it's their style. Great. I love their style. I love that. I'm a I, big I, don't, I was, I, I'm, 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 I have like, I love True Grit. I've watched it probably 10 <laughs> times at least. I love, I love that sort But of, you're hit or miss with them, I feel. I am hit or miss with them. I was just going to. you don't like the Big Lebowski. I do not like Big Lebowski. And I also take every chance I get to curse out inside Ilan Davis. I think that is oh, I haven't one seen of it. the most boring, waste That's of time movies that's ever been made. What a what a snore snooze. What about Far? Have you seen snooze. Fargo? No, no. no. Oh, it's fantastic. Ah, that's great. Good for them. And I haven't seen more brother. Where brother? Where are you, brother? Brother, oh, brother where, where are, are thou? thou? <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen that either. There's and a lot really we have to see. We There's a lot we have to see. We're I mean we're working that. our way through this Nicolas Cage list, but once we're yeah, done, yeah, yeah. maybe we look at these. Not even films. once we're done. We watch tons of movies. You make me always watch movies <laughs> okay. all the time. Right. Movies with right. you. Right. But this movie, this movie, I mean, it does reflect a lot of other movies that we've seen. Of like, there's a lot of Mad Max elements. Oh, I yeah. think. Um, and not I'm not talking about Mad Max Fury Road, which lives in a completely different universe from Mad Max the Earlys. Mm-hmm. Um, the Mel Gibson Mad yeah, 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 yeah. But, but, but which lives in very much, I would say, the same universe as Raising Arizona, where it's Definitely. like motorcycled men can go around stealing babies, like and you know, grenading rabbits, yes, uh, yes. shooting lizards, yes. catching flowers on yeah. fire. Yeah, what I find very interesting mm. is. What happens when you pair a team of directors who have a very specific style with someone who wants to make very big choices like mm. Nicolas Cage? Because as we know from Peggy Sue Got Married, yeah. he wants to make big choices. Yeah. I was reading... I, I, I feel like you're building up and I hope you have like background info for me. I do me have a bit of background like, info. Because the only thing I've seen so far is that it's like he wanted to make choices and they were like... No thanks. Yes. And I was like, I'm like, yes. 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 They didn't... Show you gotta you gotta rule young cage with an iron fist. They didn't get along at <gasps> first, the Cohen's and, and Nicholas Cage. Because Let's hear again, it. Nicholas Cage wanted to make some huge choices and oh. big choices. But he also, you know, some things he gets they give, but it's because the Cohen's have a vision. All their movies, they have visions, they like wanna make things a certain way. And their cast are there like the reason people come back to them is because they know that style, they like that style. Nicholas Cage does not come back for another Cobra. Oh my god. I mean it's because I saw I saw that a lot of the crew from Blood Simple came mm-hmm. back to work on um when Erasing Arizona. The yeah, yeah, Racing right Arizona. I was like yeah. I was like it wasn't when Peggy Sue got married. <laughs> no, no, no. Is... But despite but so, so Nicholas Cage never comes back for another... does, I don't I don't believe he comes back for another Coen Brothers movie. But the Coens do say they would take Nicholas, like a, an actor like Nicholas Cage, who's asking to make choices and doing choices, as opposed to someone who's just like you got a kickstart to get going, hmm. which I which I appreciate. I also think this movie. I can't imagine who else would be in this role other than Nicholas Cage. Like they were talking about Kevin Costner read for this three times, and I cannot picture boring Kevin Costner. What? How can you say that about Kevin Costner? Kevin Costner as boring. Wait, oh, you, wait, no, excuse me. The... Sorry, I'm thinking Kevin Klein. No, Kevin oh. Costner is great. 
Excuse me. Kevin Costner's awesome. Oh, jeez. Oh, my God. I'm getting my Kevins mixed up, man. I'm getting my Kevins mixed up. I was also like, that doesn't seem like something No, Kevin Costner could be in this movie. Yeah. But I'm glad Nicolas Cage is in it instead. I just think that Nicolas Cage makes this movie. I think everything is incredible about it. I don't think it's like, it's not going to be made. I don't think it's doesn't work without him but i also think he brings so much flavor to the table here i i i, guess I don't like you saying he makes this movie i think i think that as a shorthand is is bs the coen oh. brothers make this movie sure. you know what i mean yes they truly do they cast it they write it they wrote it in like what three and a half months i don't know they, I, that's this is what i read now i'm telling <laughs> you now you just have to believe me let me see they yeah script took three and a half months to write they film it in 10 weeks. I'm like, they're churning this puppy out. Yeah. It's the budget is $5 million and they make a box office of 30 million. So they turn a lovely little profit on this movie. Easy. Um they like I said wrote the character of Ed Edwina. I love Ed short for Edwina for Holly Hunter, which is amazing. Um and and uh the Score is written by Carter Burwell, who I think writes the score for Blood Simple as well. Again, I haven't read, but it said the second of his collaborations with the Coen Brothers, and I assume that Blood Simple is the first film. It has to be that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, and the music of this movie is so good. The sounds are it's like organ, choir, banjo comes through really strong. There's whistling and yodeling even in it throughout. But like, it's such a playful, beautiful score. So I'm like, this movie is a sum of its parts, is more than the sum of its parts, and is also, like, I think the Coen brothers are doing those calculations on the side, putting together all of this work, all of this crew. So Nicolas Cage being, like, being a star vehicle who's bumping along the road and they have to, like, wrangle back in and be like, nobody, we've got enough big ideas on our own. Mm -hmm. We don't need you trying to do weird voices like you did in your previous film to make a scene or, like, uh, whatever it is I'm saying. Like, don't tell me Nicolas Cage made this movie. Okay, He's in this movie. He's amazing in this movie. This movie is a piece of iconic legend because of everyone who's in it. But... This movie gets made because I think the Coen brothers have a grasp on their set. I think Unlike you're right. Coppola. I think you're right. I think you're right. And I will... I'll, I'll walk that back. I'll walk nice. that back. I think this movie is made by a lot of different things. Nice. The Coens especially, but really everyone in it. I think H.I. is such a good character because of Nicolas Cage. That's yeah. what I'll go back to. Because I think... Again, I... Well, to go back to... He is doing a voice in this. Mm-hmm. He's doing... He's doing a dialect. They're He's all doing a, doing a dialect, dialect, but the dialect is cultivated by the Coen brothers, who dis- who went and used the local dialect of the area of Arizona they wanted to film with, and then they also used, I think it was like, they did assumed literature of what they thought their characters would be reading, and mm-hmm. it was the Bible and something else. So uh-huh. like they developed the dialect very much. I think it comes across as like the style of like Juno and of um, Jennifer's Body, both written by, uh, do you remember, it's like... Diablo oh, Cody? Is it Diablo uh, Cody? Diablo Cody, yes. Um, like, Diablo Cody has very similar, like, creates a dialect for her characters. Yeah. And I still think that that's the work of the of the movie makers less so than the actor here. Oh, here, yeah. Nicolas Cage is willing to work within the dialect and the voice that is given him. Yes. Unlike in Peggy Sue when he's like, oh my But I, I still uh, think it's, it's good to, I do think it, you're right. I think a good director is able to rein in an over-the-top or not even over the top, but I mean, he is over the top, mm-hmm. but is able to rein in someone who's making big choices. Yeah. 
and find what's good. I'm sure also Nicolas Cage asked to make some big choices and they were like, yeah, like he was yeah, the one, stuff in there, yeah. he was the one who wanted his hair the way it is because yeah, he wanted course. it to be of like, course. he wanted it to be but like, but that's Woody not, Woodpecker. that's not admirable to me. That's, that's, that's the most basic thing you can do as an actor is be like, I want to have crazy hair to show how crazy my character is. And that's what he just did in Peggy Sue as well. When he had the blonde hair for that. Well, he's not <laughs> even, it's think of it this. I want you to, he talks about this where his okay, hair when it's up, uh-huh. it's when he's feeling crazier. And when it's a little more slicked back is when he's feeling calmer. And that was his own invention as well. Where he wants <laughs> his, his, where he wants his hair. Well. Because I think... When my hair is crazier, my character's crazier. And when my hair is calmer, look, my you're, hair you're, is You're calmer. writing it off now. You're writing it off now. But I, I <laughs> no, like it. I like it. I'm, I'm bad. I think to go back to the Woody Woodpecker of it all, the tattoo that he has oh. on his uh, sleeve, I think he's basically playing a cartoon character in this. There's what? so many moments. No. Wait, wait, wait. Just, just hear me out for a second. Well, he, okay. He goes in and out of a cartoon character, but in a good way. Like there's this scene where he's baby napping, mm-hmm. right? Oh yeah. The he's, sweatiest baby stealer he's, you've ever he's seen He's stealing babies. He's looking around. He's tiptoeing. When you remember when he was tiptoeing down the hallway to pick up the baby, he was tiptoeing like he was in a cartoon. Or one time when Holly Hunter, when Ed slaps him in the car, he whips his head around, his eyes go crossed, and it's almost as if you could see like the Looney Tune birds like spinning around his head. Like there's a lot of that that he's giving in this performance that I feel is very cartoon heavy, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I, I um, yeah, I think the tiptoeing though and the, the baby scene, like that's so heavily hand in hand with the directing there of that mm-hmm. scene is the directing is making it be cartoonish as well yes and i think what you get is like like when you're saying like he's acting very cartoonish here i'm like yeah with that slap that was a good point but i think overall he's much more reined in and like holly hunter is reined everyone is actually doing like i don't think naturalistic is the right word but they are acting like people yeah. Not acting like cartoons, because I think if you act like a cartoon in a movie that also does so much cartoonish stuff and allows for these cartoonish moments and incorporates them in, then you have too much. Like Peggy Sue, he's acting really cartoonish. Sure. And then that that derails from the ability to have like joke scenes like this. You're frowning sure, at me. Frowning I because, hate it. How wait, dare wait, you? Wait, How wait, dare wait, you wait. frown at me? No, because I think I think a lot of people are cartoonish in this. And I say that yeah. in a good way. I love cartoons. I'm not saying that Comedic? as a negative. No, but I'm just thing. like I'm just like I'm just like I don't think the acting is cartoonish. I disagree I think, with that. I think you're taking it as a negative and I'm not saying I'm it not as a negative. I'm not just taking it as a negative. I'm taking it as an objective <laughs> description and I'm saying wrong. That's the wrong word okay. choice here. When our wonderful convicts, uh-huh. when John Goodman and William Forsythe yeah. are eating cereal, yes. they're eating it. Like cartoons, they're eating it with milk dribbling down. The way they're just like keep spooning sugar in it. Like I've it seen seems... you eat cereal like that. <laughs> no, you haven't. And you not. are a cartoon. Only... I guess caricatures, like your characters. I don't know. I, caricature I, sounds I, I, worse I'll... than cartoonish. It does. It does. Me. Okay, I I can come around on this because I can sort of see what you're saying. I in my heart of hearts still disagree. But I. What about the scene with I, the fire? Wait, I do want to talk about the the scene of them eating eating the cereal and drinking because it's such a good scene because they're also smoking cigarettes. They both have cigarettes Ex- dangling out of their mouths. <laughs> the milk is pouring down their face along with the cereal. They're barely slurping it up in. And then meanwhile, they also have the gall to judge Holly Hunter's character who is bottle feeding the baby. Oh my God, it's They're like, why aren't you breastfeeding? 
<laughs> it's unbelievable. And it's funny because it's a very heightened moment of like, she's not breastfeeding because it's not her baby. She yes. didn't give birth, so she's not lactating at all. But mm-hmm. especially in today's climate with the formula shortage oh my and God. having there be these like ignorant comments about like, well, just breastfeeding yeah. instead, like yeah. that's healthier anyway. Or yeah. Like there's so many, so many nuances around breastfeeding and stuff mm-hmm. and then having the critique come from two convicts well i don't like saying two convicts as if that's relevant to it at all but it's it's two cigarette smoking cereal oh. eating <laughs> baby boys <laughs> that's the way this movie moves is incredible to me like the plot is not I don't want to say all over the place, but it's moving along at a clip. Yeah, like it this baby it's, is it's moving. Racing. This baby is getting nabbed. It's not all over, over the place and over. at all. Oh yeah. Like physically, oh, we're oh, we see. are yes, yeah, we yeah. are we are in the prison. We are out of the prison. We're nabbing a baby. We're back at the you're house. Right, you're we're right. now on our way to the bank. That can be described the bank. All over the place. <laughs> <laughs> like we then got a chase scene. So good. I want to talk about the chase scene. Okay. Because this chase scene is maybe the best chase scene in cinema. I don't know about that. I don't know where you're going with this. I hate Did you. you. <laughs> I'll kill you. <laughs> I want to talk about this chase scene. But what do you mean the best scene in all of cinema? The like, best like chase Fury, scene. I'm not saying the Fury best. Fury Road also has great chase scenes. Like I've already talked about other okay, movies fine. with amazing cinematic chase scenes. The best comedic so, so, chase scene. Okay, okay. I don't, I'm, but good, I don't even know. Good Lord. <laughs> Christina, you can just say it. No one's going to come for you later going, I can't believe in that Raising Ow. Arizona episode. You forgot this chase scene from, it happened one night. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay, okay. Because. Are you going to talk about the dog brigade chase scene? Or? Well, yes. That's, oh. the, that's the one that I'm talking Tell about. Tell me about it. <laughs> we start where Nicolas Cage is feeling out of touch with his real self, or I guess H.I., which is Nabin convenience stores which is robbing convenience stores because he's like my convict friends are now saying you're too soft now the leash is too tight you're not who you really were and he's like you know what time to rob this place and get some freaking huggies as well as i don't know whatever was in the register this was also when he met the crazy convenience store guy he starts robbing it and holly hunter waiting in the car goes i'm out of here this begins the chase scene we have Nicolas Cage running from cops, the convenience store guy, a pack of wild dogs, other trucks. He then goes into a supermarket where that supermarket man is also shooting him. That is the supermarket chase <laughs> with the dogs is is that's where I'm like this movie is about the joy of filmmaking and movie, like it's such a joyful, playful, fun film. There's such a lovely part where like Nicholas Cage, the guy, is gonna point a shotgun down the barrel, and Nicholas Cage just very coolly looks at him <laughs> and then turns to run the other way. And that I was like, that evokes the future action king Nick Cage that we're gonna get, and it's so fun to see it here in a very silly comedic little store run for the Huggies. And the other thing, I'm sorry, that I'll say while I'm on my soapbox about the Huggies and stuff, is that I found it very realistic that the cops were willing to engage in multiple shootouts, endangering the lives of all the patrons at the supermarket over supplies to take care of babies. Yes. Because that does happen in real life. But the cops will absolutely confiscate uh, stolen baby supplies and pat themselves on the back for a job well done. For a job well done. Those absolute pigs. Um, <laughs> um, and I will just do another shout out for abolishing the prison industrial complex. Um, I I am... That's part of why I wanted to walk back my earlier calling them convicts. Because even though they are convicted, it's not 
a fair label to describe their character or their conduct. And they make some great jokes about um, John Goodman after breaking out. He's like, yeah, we released ourselves on our own recognizance. Yeah. Which is such a good joke. It's a good joke. Great joke. The stupid, the, the movie seems sort of aware of um, it a little bit. Like, like mm-hmm. the desire uh, or the foolishness of prisons and punishment system because when they're being released or when um high is being released the guy is like okay well you know you've you heard of recidivism which is about how once you are part of the carceral system you have a higher likelihood of becoming a repeat offender um and that is a lot of the times due to the nature of the carceral system not the nature of the individual Mm -hmm. um I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that was great. And I liked that Nicolas Cage was like, "It ain't arm rum. It ain't. It ain't armed rotter. It ain't rotter." So what did you think? <laughs> <laughs> I agree with what you're saying about the carceral <laughs> system. I did think the prison escape was pretty cool. It's so good. Just coming out of the mud. So good. I was like, "Where are they coming from?" So good. It also, it weirdly evoked Shawshank Redemption yes. for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I realized this came before that. Yeah. Which was crazy to me. I'm, I was wondering if Shawshank saw this and was like, it has to be raining when they get out. It looks so good. No, no. <laughs> That's movies. Films are always Films like, they love when it's raining. They're like, there should be mud. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to share a little fun fact with you. Okay. This is so out of the blue, but okay. I guess this is my storytelling okay. method now. Okay. Do you know how... When you have identical twins, or I guess in this case, quince, you tell them apart. Fingerprint them? You can't do that every single time. I mean, yes, the oh. fingerprints would be unique, but like as as their mother or father. <laughs> right, right. You know, as much as, of course, you would love them. Maybe a little metal bracelet. No. Okay. You paint their toenails oh different God. colors so that you know who's who. And then eventually when they get older, they do start developing like different things. You can cut their hair differently and things like that. But when they're just kids, you know, who is it? It's uh, Larry, Gary. Larry, Harry, Barry. Larry. I think it's it's Harry, Barry, Larry, Gary, and Nathan Nathan Jr. Jr. So good. So good. Those babies were cute. Those babies were great. The babies are excellent. Um, And then the bad baby, the fury that would be. Mad Max, our baby hunter, yeah, who himself was sold as a baby on the black market, yeah, for thirty thousand dollars when he was a child, yeah. Exciting stuff. Oh, why does he have the same tattoo as Nicolas Cage's character has? Mm-hmm. This, what did you say? The bird, the Woody was? Woodpecker, the wood, wood, woodpecker, Woody Woodpecker, Woody Woodpecker. I think he has that tattoo. My reading of it uh-huh. was that Nicolas Cage saw that this, like, he's looking at his two paths of life. And one path is being a father and, like, staying good, mm. quote-unquote. And the other path, if he continues down his, like, the criminal path, path is outlaw. he, yes, is, like, that's his future. That's his scary future. Oh, interesting. Because I was also, like, it seems sort of like it's Nathan Jr.'s future. If he stays with an outlaw father, mm. he will grow up um, to evoke that i didn't totally understand that but i also didn't mind it, it was, it's a fun mm-hmm. movie yeah, it's good. it, it it's really gives a... gave me the space to not worry about things like that yeah but and I it's the know. kind of thing i want to rewatch this movie and we did buy it on amazon nice 4.99 it's a dollar more than the rental so i always say so i'm i was honestly i almost put it on again last night steen because i was so 
I was jonesing for it. You should have. Like, I should have. I should have. I played some video games instead. Maybe we'll put it on after we finish recording. Yeah, maybe. Because I do really like the ending of, of the movie. Or, or I don't know if I really like it, but I, I it has been sitting with me. And I thought about it a lot because the movie, one of the ending um, uh, tableaus of the movie is a recreation of Norman Rockwell's 1943 painting, Freedom from Want which you always will remember is uh, is evoked a lot of the time as um, it's the like Thanksgiving table. It's the family, and so you've got the patriarch in the back and the roll up. And in, in the movie, we're rolling past like this decadent, abundant spread of weird, you know, weird 80s food. There's mm-hmm. definitely Bundt cakes present, which, by the way, I clocked three times. <laughs> there was, I was clocking, you know, normally we're clocking boo, but this time I was clocking Bundt cake in this mm-hmm. movie. There's three different times where we're seeing Bundt cake, which I was obsessed with. But um, I'm about to launch into a monologue. Are you ready to hear about Norman Rockwell? Oh boy, we're about to have a full. We're about to have a full Norman Rockwell monologue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, All right, go for it. Okay. So, the painting is inspired by uh, United States President Franklin D. Roosevelt's 1941 State of the Union address, and he talked about four freedoms: the freedom from fear, the freedom from want, the freedom of speech, and the freedom of worship. And so, uh, Norman Rockwell did these four paintings to express those things. He was like, this is a great speech. Um, and he's he's quoted as saying, I paint life as I would like it to be. And so the painting, uh, Freedom from Want, is you've got the matriarch wearing the apron and she's presenting a big roasted turkey to a family of multiple generations and the patriarch looks on with fondness and approval from the head of the table. Um, so, and there's like, there's fruit and pickles and celery and cranberry sauce around, but the, the real presentation and the, um, the artistic mastery of the painting comes from the white linen and white plates and water-filled glasses because using white on white is, like, difficult, difficult to do. Oh, sure. Um, but it's also ends up being this, like, it's a very evocative image where you have the people in the painting aren't eating yet um, and you've got empty plates and vacant space, emptiness, contrasted with, like, these images of overabundance. And it, um, like I said, gives a lot of nostalgia. Like American, American propaganda relies so heavily on nostalgia. We love Thanksgiving, our super weird <laughs> holiday rooted in genocide. And then we're like, yes, of course, the tradition of Thanksgiving, a white family around the table having turkey. You're like, so weird, so weird. And this painting in particular, was painted as war propaganda intended to promote patriotism in this, like, mm-hmm. wartime, post-wartime. Um, and Rockwell sketched it out in charcoal charcoal, and took it to the Office of War Information, i.e. the government propaganda mm-hmm. central, uh, where he was turned away. For they were like, we don't, we're tired of using illustrators. We want real artists Whoa. to make our fine war propaganda. Um, but instead, the Saturday Evening Post uh, produced and published the mag- the works in the magazine, and they made sets of reproductions available to the public and got 25,000 orders. And then the Office of War Information then also ordered 2.5 million sets wow. of the poster to, uh, to run a war bond drive in early 1943. So they are using it for this war propaganda. But in the meantime... When this painting is published in the magazine, which I'm also like, thank God it was, because I think it helps have this like 
very complex narrative around it rather than it being just a wartime propaganda piece, which you know would not sit well in Mm -hmm. ashes in my mouth. But it was published alongside an essay by Carlos Bulosan, who wrote about how freedom from want means um, economic liberty as a societal aspiration. We all want everyone to have economic freedoms. Um, And he was talking about in his essay about people who struggle to survive in capitalist democracy and having this like this haunting backdrop of Rockwell's feast, which was also received very poorly in Europe because it's like this huge turkey while mm-hmm. all of Europe's or the Europeans are like go facing scarcity yeah, yeah, and yeah. rationing and it's stuff. It's World War Two. It's World War Two, <laughs> and it's like, oh great, we're glad that the Americans have plenty to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, but that, uh, but Carlos Bulosan was like, you know, the state has an obligation to provide basic level of substance to its citizens. And Roosevelt's New Deal did not grant this, did not guarantee Americans the essentials of life. We're still fighting for this to this today. Um, and it's just like this very complicated, beautiful encapsulation of, in America, the land of plenty, the land of overabundance, what can't you buy? What do you have to do if you have more than you can handle? And so I think it's such a cool tableau to use in Raising Arizona, where you have this like painting of capitalism where the baby catcher is going to go in and he's saying to the dad, the original dad, Nathan mm-hmm. Sr. to Nathan Jr. Nathan Arizona. Nathan <laughs> Arizona. If you don't pay, the market will. Yeah. And that this this vision is over uh, Nicolas Cage's dream fantasy of welcome home kids, of like, you're getting this painting of like you can buy children in America. You can. You can. You can buy anything if you have enough money. (laughs) Oh my God. And what does that do about your idea of family values? Mm -hmm. Wow. An interesting, uh, an interesting tidbit of information there for you. (laughs) (laughs) You mean an interesting peek into the demon void that is my mind? (laughs) Thanks for listening, babe. Yeah, of course. I thought that was pretty insightful. Thank that was pretty you so insightful. Much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, for more insight, um, let's have a word from our sponsor, Marcus Hunter. The scene in Greece where the car can fly? Now that's a good scene. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> he also mentioned to me uh, privately that he agrees with my take on Francis Ford Coppola. Um, and he said the quality of his movies is entirely dependent on the actors and crew he's working with. His only consistent directorial style is meandering. I repeat that because I think it's so true, so profound, so succinctly said, and exactly what I was looking for, the kind of support I sought. And so thank you again to our sponsor, Marcus thank Hunter, you to our for sponsor. that. <laughs> thank you to our sponsor. Our sponsors choose us. Our sponsors choose us. <laughs> <laughs> Watch it, you're so funny. But I figured I, we could also, after the word from our sponsor, just say some nice things about Nicolas Cage. Sure, I'd love to, to get into the Nicolas Cage of it all. He is really nice. He's great. He's beautiful. I think he does a gorgeous performance. I love when he says to Holler Hunter, Holly Hunter, <laughs> Holler Hunter, um, you're a flower, you are. <laughs> and then he, she takes his pictures in front of the jail, processing, and he goes, let me know how those come out. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. He's, he's so charming. He's, he's beautiful. He's got puppy dog eyes. It is from the second you see him on screen, yeah. you are captivated. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of what I was saying about yeah. like, he's, he's very captivated. You're immediately 
invested in but this. But I'm game. like, the Coen brothers got a fantastic performance of course, out of, of course, Nicolas Cage, of rather than Nicolas Cage gave a fantastic performance, necessarily. I think it's 50 50. Well, I definitely think it's 50 50. argument over it. Because here's what I'll say. Okay. When you need to get a good performance out of someone, you have to mean, have both. You yes, yeah. exactly. Like he is a performer. Yes. That was been yeah. clear so far. That's fair. And they were just able I think not just they were yeah. able to make sure it fit into the movie. Yes, yeah. Fit in the movie, harness his power. Yeah, this is why I'm saying fifty fifty. Because he's showing up with ideas. He's showing up going, let me try this, let me try that. And they go, not that, not that, but maybe this. Yeah. And it is it is that he had to fight to be in the movie. I saw, I saw that yeah, he, yeah, yeah. They, they didn't want him at want first. Him. But and he, flew, he to New York, flew to New York, read for them. And they were like, and they're like all, all right. right. Yeah. Because he, I mean, he does great. He does great. Uh, other things I noticed was that his core strength is really present in this movie. Even when he's slouching around and ambling. And you don't really see his abs in this movie. It's not one of those ones where they gratuitous take off his shirt. You most see his top pecs when he's like laying in mm-hmm. bed. But you can tell he's got that core strength holding him on, well, wriggling him around. Like I mean, he was rowing regatta for so yeah. long. He's yeah. you've got to have a strong core yeah. for yeah. for the boats. Yeah. Just just okay. Other thing I want to say is that he's uh, is Nicolas Cage vouching for having a glass of milk in all of his movies because in Birdie he's walking around with that little glass of milk. I don't. This scene he's always having a glass of milk. Milk was, was so big, big in the eighties. Milk was so big in the eighties. My cousin who's big it. now, he was like, mm. the only reason I'm big is because I drank four cups of milk a day, and I'm like, I don't know about that. I, I don't like that. milk. I believe you should drink more milk. I don't like milk. You need milk to grow big and strong. I'll have a like milk in a latte. Cage. I'll have milk in a cappuccino. I'm gonna make you drink. I'll some have more milk. a little bit of milk with my cereal, but I used to eat my cereal dry like a horse. <laughs> Yuck. Um, do you know if Nicholas Gage does his own stunts? I would all the running is him, but there's with car stunts usually it's mm, not okay. you. Uh, but there was just like stuff where I was like. He, there's so much of him like rumping arounding and roaming and romping with the that it, it feels like he's doing yeah it's I, it seems like I it's know. kind of uh, down the middle I don't yeah. think there were no mission impossible stunts in this for me to go like did he really do that uh, but there's usually things like driving they will get someone else to do that uh, but there is one scene I think where he backs out really quickly and I'm like that was him <laughs> uh, nice. I just think. I mean, Nicolas Cage does this a lot. There's a lot of yelling in this movie and screaming. John Goodman screams so much when they forget the baby. Oh, my God. I mean, it's not even forget it. What it seems like is that baby flew off the top of the car. They definitely forgot the baby. Yeah, they forgot (laughs) forgot the baby. And And them just screaming the entire time. For me, I mean, this is where it's like this movie is not realism. No. Like, it's not realism, nor is it naturalistic but i don't want to say that in and i'm not saying it in a negative way but it's just so fun i go back to car, i want to say cartoonish like in a it's good way fun. but it's surreal. with emotions it's surreal, oh, it's yes. surreal. with i think there is an emotional core in this like there's moments where you really feel bad for some of these people like when nicholas cage messes up and he's like looking at uh ed when H.I. is looking at Ed, knowing he messed up and is trying to apologize, like, I'm going to be better now. You feel for that guy. You feel like that guy, he messed up and he just wants to do right. You feel for that guy. I feel for that guy. I'm like, I messed up before too, buddy. I know how it is, H.I. Your woman won't look at you. She mad. She's furious. She slaps you across the face. And you're like, no, Whoa. no, that doesn't happen to you. This is my plea for help. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, I I find it to be cartoony in the best way. Yeah, I guess cartoonish is still fair. Of like, even like the cartoons I love are still also have like very realistic heart heartfelt yeah. moments or heart or I don't know what sincere strains throughout that you can have the the comedic cartoon mm-hmm. energy. It's also the colors of Arizona. That big blue sky. You've got like he's wearing this red like Hawaiian-y shirt situation going on that like adds to the cartoonish vibe. Also, all Looney Tunes like take place, it seems, in Arizona. So part of that also seems like mm-hmm. you're just in that land. Mm-hmm. It takes place in Tempe, Arizona, which, for my dear listeners, is where my first and only fake ID was from. <laughs> oh, from Tempe, Arizona. <laughs> fun, little, fun little story about that. I had my fake ID. I got it from a friend when I was 18 or 19 and it was in my wallet and I just had it out and I think I was taking a shower and my mom found it. Why was she was looking in my wallet? She Mom's she is, she is rules with an iron fist. My mom rules with an iron fist. <laughs> she apparently had a hunch because she heard yeah. through her network of moms yes. that fake IDs were going around. The network. And then she snipped it in front of me. <laughs> I will I was upset for a few reasons. I was also upset because both my brothers got fake IDs and she went, well, it's okay for them. Let them go out for once. And I was like, what? I got snipped. You were a naughty boy. You needed to stay home. (laughs) I was a good boy. I was on my way to BHI. (laughs) I could never. The final thing I want to talk about before I think we get into the ratings is I think the baby does a great job. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many babies it was. does a great job. But they do I think it's just one job. baby because they only credit one baby. They only credit like KJ Tuck or Tuck it KJ. It does seem like that. But is. then I was also listening to something that said like that maybe there were more. Maybe there's like a well, there's definitely five I, at some point. Yeah, there's definitely <laughs> five. I'm sure that there are like baby stand-ins oh, sure. who stand in for the lighting and yeah. stuff. But it really seems like it was one baby. I also say this because uh, like Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen were always both credited on Full House. Mm-hmm. But um, they were... They were... No, when Michelle starts on the show, she's a baby. She's, she's a baby baby? She's like this, like Raising Arizona baby. Whoa. Yeah. I do love the idea... Nicholas Cage talks about this in an interview where he goes, it is a bit nerve-wracking because, of course, he's not married by this point. He doesn't have kids. Uh, but <laughs> he goes, the moms were militant and they were constantly <laughs> looking at me. And I've never really handled babies before. They, they're very alien to me. <laughs> <laughs> and that does come across because yeah. he holds a baby <laughs> yeah. absolutely incorrectly. Yeah. Right when, when right when they get Junior yeah. over they to their trailer, him around the home. <laughs> it's like when I was first holding a cat. Yeah. It could yeah. not be more incorrect. Now it's like I know exactly how to hold a cat. Yeah. But I think that was perfect. I'm like really that good. kind of detail in a movie is just Chef's kiss. Really good stuff. Really this movie's so fun. It's so just fun. so fun. It's, it's so pure good. fun. It's moving. It's clipping along. Another it's moment silly. when they come into the trailer, sorry, that I'll just remember is that, do you remember uh, when John Goodman comes in with his little cohort, Nicolas Cage surprise like slaps John Goodman across the head like, <laughs> like really hard. <laughs> <laughs> and they just keep John going, Goodman looks... Looks he very looks surprised. Shocked. He looks he astonished. Looks, it looks like it was a one take surprise. Like I couldn't say for sure, but I would love to know the story behind that slap. Yeah, just wanted to give a shout out for that. But with that, we're gonna move into the ratings. If mm-hmm. you don't mind our tune, because this is a big episode. This is our tenth episode. <laughs> don't 
episode. We've done 10 episodes of the wow. podcast together. Thank you so much to everyone who's been Thank listening. Thank you so much to all I our listeners. I love all of our friends who text me and saying that they're enjoying it. I love you guys so much. It's the best. And if you've listened to all 10, congratulations. Congratulations. You've listened to all, listened 10. To all 10. Well done. Well done. And now we're going to do a quick um, recalibrated ratings because I have mm-hmm. been babbling on and on through these past 10 episodes that I'm just not so sure about my ratings. Um, and now that I have 10 episodes of Nick Cage, or 10 episodes, oh, that's true. 10, 10 movies. episodes, 10, 10 movies, movies of Nick Cage under my mind belt. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm ready to give some revisions. Um, Go for it. Take us away. Do you want to hear my 10 or do you want to... Do you want to jump in with your ratings as I go through? I think why don't you start for the movie and I will say if mine has changed or if it hasn't. I love that. Okay, great. Unbearable weight of massive talent. This has remained the same, I believe. This is a 10 out of 10 cages, 5 out of 5 star movie for me. Right. I think I was similar. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I commit to giving a 10 out of 10 to Nicolas Cage for his 15 seconds of, mm-hmm. of excellent performance. And it's a 3 out of 5 movie for me where I'm like, this was a movie. I, I commit to my, you can't really rate that movie. You can't really rate that performance. <laughs> I, you got to check plus for doing a good job. Commit to being furious at you about that. <laughs> wow, wow, wee, wow. Um, Valley Girl, I believe 8 out of 10 is what I gave, and I still stick sure. with that. 3.5 out of 5. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it was a good three. movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, worth seeing. I don't know, but, but anyway. Rumblefish, 4 out of 10 gauges, 2.5 out Incorrect. of 5 stars. Incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> He's a little bit higher. I think he was... I don't remember him being that great in it, but maybe a six or a seven. Yeah. I don't think he's four. Racing with the Moon, I'm giving him another four. Four out of Boo. ten. And I'm giving the movie a 3.5 out of five stars. I liked him in Racing. I think that was an eight for me. Uh, I think that sticks. Cotton Club, five out of five. Five out of five. Movie, five out of ten. Nicholas Cage's shout out to Jennifer Grey in our revival. That's right. I think uh, he was around a seven or an eight for that for me. Feels good. Nice, nice. Birdie, 10 out of 10. Cages, 5 out of 5 movie. Agreed. I love it. Hard I'm agree. Still thinking about it all the time. Boy in Blue, 4 out of 10 cages. You one see, out, that's... 1 out of 5 stars. That's where I can't follow you, where how is Boy in Blue on the same level as Rumblefish? Well, okay, that's a great point. And, so uh, I'll give him a 5. 5 out of 10 for Boy in Blue. For, for No, Boy in Blue is worse. What? He was just peaceful. He wasn't I guess doing he was a bad peaceful. job. It. That's 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 it's a one out of five star movie. Boy and Blue is a one out of five all star right, movie. All right, all but right. it's a five out of ten performance for Nick Cage because he was relatively inoffensive. And he did that good part where he ran after the carriage. Peggy Sue got married, I'm giving him a one out of ten. Oh my god. Yes, I have come back, I've oh considered it, my god. thought about it, and I Wrong. absolutely one out Incorrect. of ten. One out of ten cages, three out of five Christina. star movie. One out of ten cages, three out of five star movie. Oh my god. Raising Arizona. Are you ready? I'm ready. Nine out of ten cages, five out of five star movie. Ten out of ten, five out of five. <laughs> Easiest ten out of ten, five out of five in my life. I love this movie. I honestly love this movie. I, I so far, I don't it. think there's a movie we've watched where I was like, I want to watch that again right away. I feel that about Raising It. Which I will attribute more, I think, to the Coens than to Nicholas. But I also well, think he's both. great. It's we both. Can, it's I love amazing. him in this. And I, I think I think we're lucky this. to. I really much more appreciate filmmakers who like develop collaborative sets, develop collaborative networks of contacts and people that they want to keep working with, like the John Goodman and the Coen Brothers. Saying this is something that makes me reconsider the greatest actor alive thing, where mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know if I think the greatest actor blows up his contacts, but. I don't know. I also think he's an amazing performance in this. Yeah. 
and that it's we're really lucky that in this instance the Cohen brothers went outside of their trusted circle and relied on this. Well, their trusted circle was still life. hadn't been even formed at this point. Well, I disagree with you. If like Holly Hunter is now part of their trusted circle, it's someone they wanted to work with before and they didn't. We've got the same musical composer from the previous movie, Trusted Circle. We've got crew from the previous movie, Trusted Circle. We've got a lot of the Trusted Circle. I mean, it's being and formed. It's, even, it's being formed. And it's even Circle Films is the studio that which distributed Blood Simple. <laughs> and then they took the script to the studio and said, mm-hmm. do you like this script? And they were like, great, let's make this one too. All right. So Trusted Circle. Circle Films. All right. Trusted Fine. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. <laughs> All right. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Now that's enough of that, and, and now you know how we feel about the movie. And we would love to hear from you, dear listeners. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Cage Old Question. Find us, find us, <laughs> please. Uh, you can also send emails to cageoldquestionpod at gmail.com. And if you like what you've heard, please subscribe to this podcast and feel free to throw a five star review our way. This is our 10th episode. I'm feeling more confident than ever. Five star <laughs> reviews, throw them up there. Uh, uh, Thanks uh, for our next episode. We're watching the 1987 film Moonstruck. There's been a lot of buzz about this one. <laughs> we hope you'll watch with us and listen in. Signing off, this is Christina. And our two Nazareth. Asking you. The cage old question. You're steal the Declaration of Independence. I'd like to take his, his face. Oh. Oh, not on the beat. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L. I was a little drunk. Plus, I was horny.